Well, this morning, we're uh, delighted to have uh, a translator from Whitcliffe down in Texas. Would you please welcome Andy Minch as he comes. Yeah, that would help. Mike was offering to translate for me. I'll try not to use big words. That's a... Oh, it's good to be with you this morning, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to help uh, kick off this week of your missions conference, and just feeling very welcomed at a church like this, um, especially a church where missionary is your middle name. That uh, makes me feel a whole lot more comfortable, and uh, as I was uh, able to meet some people in between the services and from the Sunday school, uh, I got to meet some other OKs, and that also made me feel very much at home to meet up with other like people. Uh, you know what an OK is, don't you? Uh, do you know what a PK is? Is what? A preacher's kid. An MK? Missionary kid? I'm an OK. I'm an ordinary kid. <laughs> Who's had the privilege of being able to do some extraordinary things, uh, including being able to translate scripture for the Amunab people of Papua New Guinea. Uh, this is uh, the tropical rainforest and jungles of Papua New Guinea, just above Australia. I think National Geographic, that's what you have. Af average annual income for these people were like $60 a year. Uh, during my lifetime, while I was alive, these people were still using a stone axe, hadn't seen a wheel. Uh, while we were there, we got to see mirrors introduced into the culture. Boys, that bring a change when self-awareness hits a, a people. You know, all of a sudden, they got to make sure that they're, you know, looking good. Because uh, all of a sudden, there's mirrors now. And that changed uh, society. These are people who just uh, went through a, a lot of change. As a missionary, I took the privilege this morning to bring with me the world's greatest missionary. I thought, you know, I can give you a little bit, but better to show you the world's greatest missionary. And that happens to be the translated scriptures. Uh, this is the translated uh, New Testament into the Amunab language of Papua New Guinea. It's the greatest missionary because it never takes a furlough and it's never considered a foreigner. What better way to be able to bring transformation, to bring the good news of the gospel, but in a language that isn't just to the head. I can understand things in a second language, but if you want real transformation, real discipleship, that's going to have to be a language that speaks to the heart, your theme that you have. And to be able to have scripture that's there. This Christmas, it's the word of God that's going to be remaining there to tell the Christmas story in the language that people understand best. Well, these were people who have gone through a lot of change. One Papua New Guinean wrote a book called 10,000 Years in a Lifetime. That's what these people had gone through. Literally, from the Stone Age, in one generation, now to come up and to be using computers and, and cell phones. Oh, and you think your life is changing quickly. <laughs> My goodness. This was an upheaval to their society. Where do you find any stability? Where do you find anything that is foundational and helpful? 
we come back to the unchanging word of God. This is what people are needing in the world today. In an ever-changing world where everything seems to be changing from, from underneath us, people really are looking for what is unchanging. What is foundational? What is it that I can stand on and trust and to know it is trustworthy? And it's the word of God. And then to be able to put it into the language of people. You're well aware of all the changes that are going on in our world today. This is a very, very different world. It's happening in churches. Uh, I'm excited whenever I see a church that is able to have the courage to begin to change. As we move into the next decade, next 10, 15, 20 years, the church has to change because society, the world around us, has changed. And that takes courage. It's hard to change, but it's necessary. I love to have the worship to see here is that that's part of that change that you, you begin to experience and begin to feel. There's been change in the world that it's become more dangerous. You're well aware. Thank you for praying for the persecuted church. This is a much more dangerous world. When we call people into the mission field, it is coming back again to where we're using the word sacrifice. How I long for the church to begin to use the right words again. We need to use the word sacrifice. It wasn't that long ago that uh, when we talked about mission, we used the word sacrifice. Said, oh, you're throwing away your life. Well, missionaries would actually pack their things in coffins and send them over to Africa, knowing that they would never return. My generation, we talked about commitment. Commit yourself to a people group. Commit yourself to a project. Commit yourself to a language. I get to go around to a lot of Christian colleges now. You know what I hear? Passion for Jesus. Nothing wrong with passion, but passion will take you on a two-week mission trip. But passion will never take you as far as commitment. And commitment will never take you as far as sacrifice. And the call of Jesus on our lives is the call to sacrifice. Even from within the church. Wow, it's out of my comfort zone to help with the youth group. It's out of my comfort zone to get it up at 6.30 in the morning to join this mission prayer group, mission work group. Yes, there is sacrifice. This world's a more dangerous place. And in missions, we see a change. What God is doing in missions now is in basically two areas. Partnerships, where agencies are working together in partnership like we've never seen in the history of mankind before. Building a synergy. Having a vision for things that are so much bigger than just ourselves. It used to be in the World Missions Conference, the call was from the West to the rest. Well... We're not seeing as many people from the West going overseas any longer. And the call has changed from everywhere to everyone. And now we're seeing partnerships around the world, agencies working with nationalities of all over the world, reaching in a global way that we've never seen before. There's a change that's coming. And this change is spurring an uh, 
an urgency among mission leaders. A lot of people look at this change and they're thinking, wow, surely Jesus is coming back soon because, you know, all the change. Well, do you, do you sense that deep within yourself that Jesus is going to be coming back soon? Is that something that you just sense deep within you? I've often asked people, well, why do you think that Jesus is going to come back soon? Why this would be the era? Oh, because of all the bad things that are happening out there. There's the tsunamis and earthquakes and terrorism, volcanoes and, and all the bad things that are happening in the world. And, and boy, the you know, world economy could collapse like that. The Dow Jones went down by two points. <laughs> and we're nervous because we recognize the world is very fragile. And it is. But you know, there have been a lot darker times in history this is not as bad as it's been throughout history. But why mission agencies are getting excited, why mission agencies are, are sensing this urgency that we have to get the gospel out sooner rather than later is because they're seeing God do things that he's never done in the history of mankind before. Are you familiar with the Back to Jerusalem movement? The house church in China. That's one of the areas to pray for. China is presently incurring a new wave of persecution. Just a month ago, the government shut down the largest house church in China because they were requiring cameras to be placed in every church. And with the facial recognition that China has at their disposal, they can track all the Christians and all their activities. And the church didn't want to submit to that. The house church in China has this vision. They've taken on the scripture that says, and this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole earth, and then the end shall come, that the gospel is circumnavigating the world. From their perspective, they're seeing that the gospel began in the Middle East, and it spread over into Europe. It jumped across the Atlantic into South America, North America, moved throughout the Pacific Islands, came up along the Asian coast, moved interior into Asia, moved into China. And now the house church in China is saying, this gospel has been going around the world and now we're going to march it back to Jerusalem, right through the hardest areas of the world to reach right now, through that whole Muslim context where Westerners can't go, but Chinese can. And they're calling for their local pastors, their house church pastors, hey, come join us in this missionary effort to bring the gospel back to Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, 10% of you are going to die in the process. Really? Is that how you recruit for missions? Sort of the way Jesus recruited. And I'll tell you, that's the way you recruit for a movement. Along with partnerships, God is working in movements around the world in church planting movements, in prayer movements, in a Bible translation movement, where we see communities rising up and saying, we want scripture, we need scripture in our language. And we're saying, there's not enough people from the West coming. We're pleading, but we're not seeing as many go out on the mission fields we used to. They said, that's okay. We'll do it. Come alongside us. Partner with us. Encourage us. Enable us. Train us. And we see local communities that are rising up and working to do translation into their own languages because they see the value. This is worth it. 
And when we come to sacrifice, we have to ask the question, not, is it going to be hard? Is it going to hurt? We need to ask the question, is it worth it? Can I assure you that working to see the gospel into this world is worth it? Things that we see happening that we've never seen in the history of mankind, along with the Back to Jerusalem movement, for every expatriate missionary that goes into uh, Nigeria, there's six Nigerians who are going out as missionaries cross-culturally. It's flip-flopping. What used to be receiving countries are now sending countries. It wasn't that long ago that Korea was receiving missionaries. Now, per capita, they're sending more missionaries than any other country in the world. This is a country that not long ago would be up at 6 in the morning, 4 in the morning, praying on the mountaintops. No wonder that country was transformed. And then the one that gets me excited above all these other things that we see happening, do you realize that this is the first generation in the history of mankind that can even talk about Scripture being translated into every language of the world that needs one? It's amazing of what God is doing. Not only is this the first generation that can talk about it, this is the generation that's going to see it happen. In the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to see Scripture being translated into every language of the world that needs one. But we still need those who are willing to go out. When you see those from 8 to 15-year-olds, how many do we have here that are between 8 and 18? We've got a few throughout. I, I want you to respect these people. It could be, it could be that the ones sitting here today may enter that very last language. It's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years. You have in your bulletin a graphic, if we could put that up on the, on the slide, of just showing what God is doing in this day and age. Why are we excited? Why is there an urgency? It's because for the first 1,800 years, we only saw 68 languages with Scripture. Then in the next 100 years, it jumped to about 522. Today we have over 3,350 languages that have some or all of the Bible in the language. And we see as we track this an exponential curve. Not just a growth, but exponential. Something only God is able to do. Something that we've never seen before in the history of mankind. That is why we're excited that Jesus is coming back soon. It's what God is doing. He's on the move. He has a mission. He has a purpose for his people. It's up to us to join God in what he's doing. He's moving. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will do it with or without you. And he is. He's sending dreams and visions into the Muslim world. I have a feeling it's because there's not enough who are reaching out and befriending Muslims. And so Jesus is saying, I will reveal myself to them. But they're not getting saved through dreams and visions. They have to meet up with a Christian. They have to be able to understand Scripture. They have to have someone guide them. And there's a tremendous need for those who will go out 
Jesus has his unchanging purpose in this changing world. To find out that purpose, it's unchanging. It's been since before Genesis. Let's take a look before the foundation of the world. If you would turn to Ephesians, or to listen, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Isn't that nice? I love being blessed. Oh, here's the reason. Why are we blessed? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. His purpose? To be holy and blameless in his sight. God is desiring to raise up a holy people around the world from every tongue and nation and tribe and language. God is wanting a world full of worshipers. Those who will extol his name. We go down to verse 12. Take from 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to a plan, the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. God is looking for his name to be glorified. That is his purpose. He has chosen us. This is your purpose in life. This is why you are here today. Not to become more knowledgeable. Not to be able to answer all the questions you have out of Scripture. Not to be really smart. There's a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what do I do to inherit the eternal life? Jesus says, well, what do you think? He says, well, love God, love people. And Jesus gets all excited. Yes! absolutely, A++, you could not answer any better. You have all the knowledge you need. That is absolutely correct. Oh, but one thing, Uh, go and get rid of all your money because it's standing between you and God and it's holding you back from your close, intimate relationship with God. The church is not a teaching institution We've made it into, let's come to church and get really smart. The church is a sending institution. The church is the gathering together and supporting. It's supporting the young people as they consider, what do I do with my life? That you gather around and you're praying for them and you're encouraging them. You're speaking into their lives. You're helping give them direction in ways that they can be part of the kingdom of God in significant ways around the world. You're encouraging them to consider something much bigger than themselves. To consider a global task, something that is worth it. Go for the hard one. Do something truly great. That's another word that we've we've exchanged greatness for famous. Our society is so enamored with the famous. But we encourage within the church to do something truly great. What I love about being a missionary is I rub shoulders with truly great people. They've lost children and spouses and homes. They're my friends. I know these stories. And they remain faithful. 
It's not about succeeding. We've got to change that world, word too. Let's not just worry about success. Let's worry about faithfulness. That's all that God's asking. Hebrews chapter 11. They were not very successful. They were sawn in two and boiled in oil. They lived in caves and holes in the grounds. The world was not worthy of them. But they were faithful. In the church, we, start, we have to start saying about sacrifice and faithfulness and greatness. Be part of something truly great. Because God's purpose for our life is that we become his holy people. To the praise of his glory. And then he has a mission. We see this in Genesis. He calls Abraham. He says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. Why is he being blessed? And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. We have been blessed with this wonderful gift of salvation. So that I can go to heaven? Is it all about me? How often have I heard in church, is that if I was the only person in the world, Jesus would die for me? Really? That's so much about me. Jesus died to honor the Father, to glorify the Father. And he does that by bringing a whole world together as worshipers to the Lord God Almighty. Our focus is to bring glory to the Father. I will bless you, not so that you can feel good in this life. I will bless you that you be a blessing to the nations. We are now Abraham's children, we are told. And we are purposed. And our mission, given by God, is to be a blessing to the world. And that's what you're doing through your mission emphasis, through your support of mission. You are joining God in what he is doing. I find it interesting, even for Jesus, in Matthew 9, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Did you hear what he's saying? Ask the Lord of the harvest. Who's that? Jesus. If I could translate that for you. Translators can do this for you. The Andy version of this, A-N-T, Andy New Testament, is basically he's saying, guys, ask me. I, I can do this. I have the capability Ask me. I want you to partner with me. Did you ever read the story of Elijah really carefully? How he prayed and God withheld the rain? If you read that story, God declares, I'm going to make it rain, Elijah. And then he goes out and he does the whole Mount Carmel thing to get the hearts of the people ready. God's already declared, I'm going to make it rain. Just, you know, Elijah could probably sit back and say, go ahead, God, go do it. Rather, we see that after the Mount Carmel thing, he's running up, he goes up into the mountain, he's praying. 
for rain. Didn't God say he was going to make it rain? But he's wanting a partnership. Pray until you see this happening. And then he asks his servant, go out and see if you, if you see a cloud. Is it going to rain? Nope, no cloud. He asks a second time. You see anything? Nope, no, nope, I don't see anything. A third time. See anything? Nope, nope, don't see anything. Fourth time. Nope, 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 don't see anything. Seven times. Have you been praying and praying and praying? And the seventh time, because he was intent, he was faithful to remain in that posture of prayer, that seventh time came back and says, I don't know, ain't much, but I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. To Elijah, that's it. That's God's answer. Go, go tell Ahab, boy, it's going to flood. You're not even going to, you're going to get stuck in the mud. What? It's because he was so faithful in that prayer, because he was partnering with God. The expectation was that, yeah, God, you can just go ahead and do it. But God's saying, I can't. I need you to intervene. I need you to intercess. I need you to be praying for this to happen. Jesus is saying, man has this will. And he's saying, ask me, and then I'm free to act on your behalf. To partner with him in this. We're blessed to be a blessing. The other thing that's unchangeable is God's love. In Amenab, we had this weak word of, of membeg. It means to like a lot. I uh, like my uh, uh, bow and arrow. I like my sweet potato. I like my pig. I like my wife. You know, it's like, eh, it's all the same. <laughs> the wives didn't really appreciate that, but it was, you know, they, they caught the gist of it. And I, I was asking the guys, I said, you know, as we translate about God's love, uh, we need something a little bit stronger than just to like. Do we have any word? And they said, well, we could say to like uh, a lot. Good, you know, but we need something more. <laughs> I said, well, when, when you're, you got this eye and you're on a gal and that you'd like to marry, boy, she's the one I want to marry, and you talk to your uncle to talk to her uncle to see if you can arrange the marriage, and the uncle says, yep, we've arranged the marriage, you get to marry her. Woohoo! What is it you feel? And they said, Membeg. I said, I need something more. He said, but we do have a phrase uh, to, like, uh, to hang your thoughts on. Oh, well, tell me about that. Well, when I go on a pig hunt, <laughs> I'm not really thinking about the pig. I'm, I'm thinking about my girl. <laughs> and, and when I go to the garden, I, I'm not really thinking about lunch. I'm, uh, I'm thinking about my girl. I'm hanging my thoughts on her. And when I, and I'm building my house, I'm not thinking about the house. I'm, I'm thinking about my girl. I'm hanging my thoughts on her. Everywhere I go, every decision I make, everything I'm doing, I'm hanging my thoughts on her. We came to John 3.16, and God was doting over the world. He's so enamored. I like you guys, but it's my wife who's on my screensaver. Okay, when I fire that up, that's the image I want to see. You're on God's screensaver. He's hanging his thoughts on you. God was hanging his thoughts on the people of the world so much that he sent his son. Then we got to John 21. Peter, do you love me more than these? Three times we have this word love. English? Yeah, 
It just says love. In the Greek, there's actually two words that are being used back and forth. It comes across like this. Peter, do you hang your thoughts on me? Lord, you know I like you. A second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you hang your thoughts on me? A second time, Peter says, oh, Lord, you know I like you. The third time, we're told Peter is grieved. Jesus says, Peter, do you like me? Oh, Lord, you know all things. You know I like you. I asked the guys, what's going on here in this dialogue? They said, oh, Peter, he couldn't be the big head. He have just, you know, he denied Jesus three times, so he can't go saying, oh, I hang my thoughts on you. No, the best he could say is that I, I like you. But what Jesus is saying is, Peter, I'm calling you to hang your thoughts on me. I'm lifting you to something more noble, something truly great, that everywhere you go, every decision you make, everything you do, I want you to hang your thoughts on me. I want you to hang on to my words and become this holy people. I want you to be able to go and as you go, make disciples because you're hanging your thoughts on me. And that will never change, Peter. That will never change. I don't care how bad, how upside down the world is going to seem. They may hang you on a cross upside down and kill you. But that's never going to change. Would you join God this week and in these coming months, in these coming years, in his mission in his purpose and hang your thoughts on Jesus, it's on that that God, his name will become known throughout the world. Mike. Would you thank Andy uh, for being here today?